This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. everyone, this is Chris Grasso with the Indie Spirituals Podcast on the MindPod Network. My guest today is Tommy Rosen, uh, a dear friend of mine who I'm very excited to have on the show. Tommy is a yoga teacher, writer, and addiction recovery expert who has spent the last two decades immersed in yoga, recovery, and wellness. Tommy has certifications in both Hatha and Kundalini Yoga and Meditation. He is one of the pioneers in the burgeoning field of yoga and recovery and has over 20 years of experience assisting others to holistically transcend addictions of all kinds. Tommy is the founder of Recovery 2.0 Beyond Addiction Conference and also leads the Recovery 2.0 Move Beyond Coaching Program. He presents workshops annually at Esalon and Kripalu. Tommy's first book, Recovery 2.0 Move Beyond Addiction and Upgrade Your Life, was published by Hay House in 2014. Tommy and his wife, noted yoga teacher Kia Miller, live and teach in Venice, California. Tommy, thank you so much for being with me today. Mm, Chris, thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. Ah, well, the feeling's mutual. I, I mean, there are so many different directions we can go in this conversation today. I First of all, let me start off by saying for listeners, your book is tremendous. It is a huge service, not just to those in recovery from a addiction, uh, drugs and alcohol addiction, but I think it could seriously benefit literally anyone. If you're a human being, I recommend you read that book. It's it's amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, I feel that uh, on some level, at least at the level of thinking, we all seem to have some issue there. Yeah, <laughs> at, at base level, right, right, which which you talk about in the book. And, uh, and there's a quote from that I'm going to read actually shortly. But before we get into the book and other things we'll be discussing, I would love if we can talk a little bit about your background. Um, for those who aren't familiar, we don't have to go way into detail, but you know, if you want to tell a little bit of about your story coming into addiction and then finding your way out and where you're at today. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a long conversation, which I'm going to make relatively accessible here. Great, great. Uh, people ask me, uh, you know, when did you become an addict? Very difficult question actually to answer, uh, to delineate a point in time where you crossed a line into addiction. Yeah. Since my definition of addiction is any behavior you continue to do despite the fact that it brings negative consequences into your life, I go back all the way to the beginning to the the real gateway drug, which is sugar. Mm, Yes. So for me, my childhood was one sugar event to the next. Yeah. A child who was bouncing off the walls, hyperactive, couldn't concentrate or focus, couldn't sit down, couldn't be still. And really, I just experienced and I set up a a rhythm in my life of get high off of sugar, crash. Get high off of sugar, crash. And I I was really, I didn't realize at the time, I was setting myself up for just a whopping case of drug addiction later on. Mm. So when people ask me, I just say, well, you know, I really feel like I struggled with addiction from a very, very young age, and it developed into a feeling of dis-ease or discomfort, Right. Uh, and it just got worse and worse, and, and the things that I needed to, to find peace and to find ease in my body and my mind, uh, I needed stronger and stronger things over time. Mm-hmm. I remember finding alcohol 
I got very, very sick the first time I drank alcohol. I got so sick, in fact, that it, it really didn't become a major part of my story. Wow. I, I actually wasn't trying to obliterate myself. I wanted freedom. I wanted adventure. I wanted to experiment and explore the world. Right. And, and, and this experience with alcohol did not provide me that. And that's the one you write about with your friend? Is that exactly. Correct? That's a hell of an experience you had, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and then uh, later on, though, I found marijuana, and that really, that really was what I was looking for. Yeah. It brought me a sense of ease. Um, the anxiety I felt I had carried through my whole life, the insecurities, uh, a lot of anger by that point, were immediately alleviated, yeah. shifted immediately, so that I could actually enjoy myself. I could just enjoy myself. And I hadn't been able to just enjoy myself, you know, and relax and be in the flow and all the things that I think a normal, well, sort of rounded person can actually access a feeling of well-being, especially as a child. Right. Um, that seemed to be elusive for me. So when I found marijuana and it gave me that feeling, I remember thinking, wow, this is, this is the most powerful I have felt in my life powerful in the sense of I can affect the way that I feel mm. and I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. And so that, that sort of began for a, a long time. That was a, a, the beginning of a decade long relationship with marijuana. Mm. Um, and that led into further exploration with psychedelic drugs. Uh, and, and even there I can say to people, there were some, valuable lessons that I took from those experiences. It wasn't all black and white, you know, it wasn't all drug addiction and terrible by right. any means. Right. There was joy, there were aha moments, there were connections with friends and, and greater understandings of myself and my place in the world and the universe. Mm. But at the end of all those experiences, I, I still had to come home to me. Yeah. And I wasn't adept at being me. Right. And finding comfort and ease on that path. So, uh, the powders entered the picture, and and you know we got into cocaine, and then we got into heroin to help with sleeping because I was doing so much cocaine I couldn't sleep. What a cycle! <laughs> yeah, the cycle began. Yeah, my behavior. Just I just say that everything in my system, my body and my mind, became depleted. Mm. My spirit became depleted. Uh, it's it's a it's a painful place to be. You you at a certain point you actually you actually do know that you're not doing well. Yeah. You are aware. There is there is denial where you deny it to everybody else, but you actually know this is not what I intended for my life. This oh, is not yeah. what I intended for my day. Yeah. So that's a bit about how it happened. Yeah. Well, so you I mean I, there's a number of ways I can go from that because you briefly touched on a number of things I want to talk to you about today. The gift of desperation, psychedelics, addiction. Let's go a little bit deeper. We're going to get to those. Let's go a little deeper in addiction. I want to share just a brief excerpt from your book that I think will really benefit listeners. And and you write, while you may not be a fall-down drunk, addicted to painkillers, a gambling addict, a chronic pot smoker, anorexic, or addicted to porn, you likely struggle with addiction in other ways, such as workaholism, overeating, shopping beyond your means, or engaging addictively with technology such as video games, texting, and Facebook. If you don't believe you suffer from addiction in any way, chances are you know and care about someone who does. You know, and obviously addiction, end quote, obviously addiction is much more, you know, than this image people have, as exemplified in your quote there, of people just being fall down drunk in the gutter or getting high in crack houses. So can you talk a little bit about Addiction. I know you touched on already, but addiction and how we, as a society, have a very skewed perception of it. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to get into Buddhism a little bit here. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. I know it's it's one of your favorite topics. I, I enjoy Buddhism. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I look out into the world and I see a, primarily a world of people that are not thinking well. Yeah. And that are attached or latching onto their thinking and being sort of guided around by it, almost like a slave to it. Mm. And it's uncomfortable. Nobody actually enjoys that process. Right. So there's this wonderful thing called 
meditation, mindfulness, where maybe for the first time in any of our lives, we're taught by a teacher to sit still and try to watch your thoughts, become the witness of your thinking rather than attached to it. You sit on the cushion. Uh, I'm not telling your listeners anything they don't already know. Well, you never know. But, but you sit on the cushion and you become the witness of your thoughts and you sit through the discomfort of not doing anything about your thoughts. Yeah. You know, because what we've all been used to do is doing something. Right. We have a, a difficult thought or a painful thought or an exciting thought or a Whatever the thought might be, it, it, it requires some form of action, so we think. Mm. And we come to learn over time through our practice that that's not the case. With addiction, I'm looking at it in, in an absolutely Buddhist kind of context where I feel the primary addiction is just our attachment to thoughts and ideas. Right. Yeah. That if we can become detached and witness our thoughts and ideas, go inside and develop a sense of intuition. Mm. And from an intuitive connected place, we can take action or decide not to take action in our lives rather than being reactive to our thinking. I think that's the primary addiction that, that has to be broken so that we can get to that place of intuition. Mm. So I, it's a, I'm, I'm asking the world to... It's a very tall order. See, I'm not saying, please put down your drugs and alcohol. I'm not saying, uh, put down your sex addiction, your internet pornography addiction, your texting while driving addiction. Mm. I'm, I'm not just saying, put down your food addiction, develop a healthy relationship with food, a reverent relationship with food. Uh, put down your codependency, develop a, a reverent relationship with yourself and with other people. Mm. It's all of that for me, but beyond all of it, it's start to see that your thinking is the problem. The problems out in the world are because of human beings thinking. Right. We've yeah. created all this. We've latched onto ideas and our thoughts and we've manifested into reality our pain our challenge, our struggle. So I say addiction is from the neck up. Uh, yeah. Like that's, that's sort of like the issue uh, in our outer world is comes from a neck up problem that human beings seem to share. And so I'm, I'm going all the way saying, hey, you've got to put down your drugs and alcohol, your food addiction, your sex addiction. You got to put all those things down just so you can begin the work of dealing with your thinking, mm -hmm. detaching from it, you know, really shooting for um, a more enlightened way of being. Yeah. I, I think, by the way, that's a terrifying concept for people. Sure is. You know, enlightenment. Uh, it's so daunting and it's so, it's so inaccessible. Uh, we have very few examples of people who are in that state. Um, most people on the planet have never at least knowingly met anybody in that state. Right. We have examples thousands of years ago in history, like the Buddha and the Christ and other examples of enlightened beings that walk this land, but we don't see so many of them these days. Yeah. So we think, well, what can I shoot for in my life? I guess I can just shoot for putting down my drugs and alcohol and that'll be a good thing. And, and that is a good thing and right. that's an incredible thing. Uh, but the addiction that will have to be dealt with is then you're going to have to deal with your thinking. Hmm. So that that's sort of how how I'm looking at it. I'm 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 a bit extreme in this way, um, and I say don't just survive addiction, thrive in your life. Yeah. How can you do that uh, if you're attached to and troubled by your thinking? Yeah. Really well said. I. You know, what's coming up for me right now as I'm listening to that is I go back to my cycle of relapsing, getting clean, relapsing. I mean, a vicious cycle that lasted probably 10 years, give or take. And as you know, each relapse gets worse. You think you hit rock bottom and then that bottom gives out. Um, but yes, as you say, the attachment to thinking that 
you know, the, the self-destructive thoughts and not working through the wreckage of my past and, and beginning to get raw and vulnerable with myself. It, it was um, huge self-sabotage that I wasn't even aware of in the moment. However, now being today on the other side of that, today being the key word, and having set those things aside, for the most part, I still struggle on, on days with sugar and things like that. We've talked about in the past, and that's something I want to talk about later too, because it's very important and something I think a lot of people overlook. But being on the other side of that and really looking, going within and looking at your thoughts and beginning to work with them, for me at least, in my experience in recovery, has been such a profound experience. It's made all the difference. You know, of course, there are other things I bring into it, but that's such a vital point I think you bring up for people. So kind of headed in, in the, let's go back, I guess, a little bit to that, the, the relapses and the pain and the struggle. Something that's been very important to me uh, is a saying in the 12-step fellowships, the gift of desperation, which mm. sounds very counterintuitive, I think, to most people mm. until they actually experience it which is something I did experience in my last uh, relapse where I desperation, I feel almost doesn't even begin to cover it. You know, I was ready to die. I welcomed the thought of death. I was just too chicken shit to take my own life, but I was, it was desperation, but that was what really allowed me to put that proverbial white flag up. And really my ego was so beaten down, so bruised. I had no fight left in me. So that was the crack just became wide open. And there's actually a saying I love from Ram Das where he says, suffering is the incarnation or the sandpaper of our incarnation. It does its job of shaping us. And, and I read that a few years into my recovery this time around, and it really helped start to put into perspective my relationship with suffering and desperation. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about desperation and ways we can see it and use it as a catalyst in our own lives and our own healing and awakening. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah. The the definition I'm currently working with of a bottom, mm. the, that, that moment where somebody reaches their bottom, we talk about that a lot in, in um, on spiritual paths, in particular the 12-step path, yeah. and the importance of reaching a bottom. The definition for me is the moment at which you're willing and able to tell the truth. Yeah, I love that. So at that moment, you you have uh, clarity. And for the first time, maybe in a very long time or maybe forever, you you have clarity about the truth about yourself and your situation. Yeah. And it's what we all share, people who have come to this precipice. We share having been through that moment. Mm. And that is an incredibly bonding moment to share with large numbers of people. Yeah. And it sounds similar to everybody who's been there. The moment of clarity sounds like this. I can't go on as I've been going on. I can't live this way anymore. And I don't know how else to live. Yeah. I can't do it. I don't have this unto myself. It's mastered me. I have no mastery over my situation. So therefore, I have no choice but to surrender to whatever may come, the support and love of other human beings, hopefully, is what's to come. And so we put ourselves around people and we, having recognized that truth, the truth of our own brokenness in that moment, we can reach out with the humility to say, I need help. Can you help me? I don't know how to move forward. I, I have no next play here. So that's the truth. That's the truth of all of our bottoms. It doesn't have to come uh, necessarily through abject suffering the way that you or I uh, suffered. Or, or it doesn't have to come because someone's gone to that level of depth. Absolutely. Yep. It, it's just a moment where someone realizes at whatever point they're at, I can no longer continue to be the way that I've been being mm -hmm. <laughs> and to do what I've been doing. So that, that, that declaration of truth 
it turns out, is the doorway to your dreams, to your potential, to connection, to love, everything that you actually wanted from drugs and alcohol or another addictive behavior will be forthcoming based on that declaration of surrender, based on that moment of clarity and the declaration of truth, it all becomes possible in that moment. And as long as you can stay in that humble place, stay open, there's opportunity always for you to move forward and learn from the joys and, of course, the challenges of your life. Nobody has to ask themselves, and are, are challenges going to come to me on a spiritual path? It, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when, right? Right. So we know the challenge is coming down the pipe. We know challenges are coming. We know we're going to lose people that are near and dear to us. Yeah. We're going to have successes and we're going to have failures in business. We're going to have relationships work out and relationships not work out. Yeah. We'll be triggered at every level of relationship with food, with money with people and we know this is going to happen we can go through life consciously and approach these things as the gifts that they are or we can go unconsciously and be in that reactive space where we react to the fear to aversion to addiction to craving that those are the things that will guide us through rather than things like love intuition connection so that, that initial declaration of surrender, of helplessness, desperation, as you put it, is critical for the advancement onto and the continuation of uh, a spiritual path that can truly transform your life and the way that you think. One, thing, one last thing I wanted to say on this is yeah. the wonderful Beatitudes that Jesus uh, laid out in his uh, Sermon on the Mount. One of my favorites is the meek shall inherit the earth, mm. which is confusing to most people at best. Uh, do I have to be poor <laughs> uh, or small minded right. in order to inherit this wonderful thing called the earth? And, and am I, you know, am I going to suffer if I, if I'm successful in this world? Right. Will I be in pain in the next world? You know, these kinds of questions. And if we understand the true meaning of, of meek, meek simply, when in Jesus' time, meek simply meant open-minded, mm. humble. So those who are open-minded and humble shall inherit the earth. What, what did earth mean at that time? Earth was simply the teaching. So if you simply open-minded and humble, you would be able to understand and receive the teaching. And I just love, I love that breakdown uh, of that beatitude. And it's exactly what you're talking about. You can tell somebody who's headed for relapse from things like obstinacy, contempt, uh, bad attitude, depressed. Um, when people are exhibiting those kinds of behaviors, that's when they have an opportunity to learn the most. That's also one of their most vulnerable moments. Right. And how do, you, how do you stay on this path of humility, this path of open-mindedness, so you can continue to inherit the earth, continue to get the teaching? Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's so important that you address that the bottom doesn't need to be the rock bottom, the places you and I have been to. Um, and, I, and I do hear more and more people starting to address that in recovery, and I think that's really profound. You and I have both done work, I know, over at our friend Jameson Monroe's Newport Academy. What an honor it is for me. I mean, anytime I can be of service, as I'm sure for you, it's it's just a privilege. But getting to work with younger people, for me, you know, it doesn't get any better than that. That's, you know, that's where my real passion lies. And I try to express that to them. You know, I, I will share a bit about my bottom, but in a way that shows them this is what lies ahead for you. Best case scenario for many of you, if you don't turn things around now. It's hard, though, knowing that chances are better than that. A good amount of those kids will still go out there and do what they're going to do. They're young. 
But, you know, as we can only do, maybe one or two or three people get the message. Maybe they all do. Who knows? But, um, yeah, they don't have to go down that road. Really, our bottoms can be what we make of it. So thank you for, for addressing that. It's huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so recovery 1.0 to recovery 2.0. I love that. And, and we've kind of already been addressing that without specifically calling it that, but can you talk a bit about what's the difference there for readers, which is something you go into great detail in your book, but I would love to give an overview of that. I look at recovery 1.0 as the process of moving out of chronic addiction. Yeah. The kind of addiction which is hindering you from being able to do much of anything that you'd actually like to do in your heart. Yeah. So we're talking about drug addiction, alcoholism, uh, you know, uh, acute gambling addiction, acute sex and codependency. Uh, all these, and food, of course, food addiction when it when it gets bad uh, is is super 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 painful for people. Yeah. When you're in that kind of addiction, you need help to to get up out of it. And and for me, that help came in the form of people and the twelve steps. Yeah. Twelve steps is a spiritual path that leads to more power and, and leads to connection. Uh, it also comes with a built-in community. So if you have a, a spiritual path and a community, you're in, you're in good shape. There's, a, there's really an opportunity to change. Once you get onto your feet again, which means you've put down the, the addictive behavior of choice, now you have to deal with the, the original hurts, the original things that were causing you to actually use in the first place. Yeah. And that's sort of the recovery 2.0 piece to me. So... A lot of people get the 1.0 part and they get sober, they get onto a path of recovery, they get clean, and they think, oh, well, life's just dandy now. And life will just be dandy now because my problem was drugs and alcohol or my problem was this, that, or the other thing. Yep. <laughs> you know? And of course, that wasn't actually the problem at all. At all. I'm laughing, not because it's funny, but you're speaking right to the old me. I, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, me too. Yeah. You know? Uh, so we realize very quickly or sometimes quickly, sometimes not so quickly yeah. that life starts to happen. Maybe our relationships aren't going so well. Maybe we don't feel at ease or comfortable in our body. And by the way, we're supposed to feel at ease in the body. Mm. It doesn't mean we don't have cycles and some better days and not better days, but we're not supposed to be in pain chronically. Right. We're supposed to feel good in the body that we have. So that's a big part. That's a big recovery 2.0 concept, Yeah. which isn't really addressed through the 12 steps. How do we take care of our body? Yeah. How do we manage our stress? How do we relate to food? Uh, you know, all these things, you know, how do we let go of cigarettes? How do we manage a relationship with, with caffeine in this, in this day and age? Yeah. These are big, big concepts which, it turns out, affect our life, affect the way that we're thinking. So we can stay in the, what I call the frequency of addiction, that energetic attunement which tunes us to addiction. Hmm. We can stay in that even though we've put down our primary form of addiction. For me, it was drugs and alcohol. Well, I was still gambling. I was I still struggled in my relationships with women terribly, painfully. Yeah. I was still smoking. So I had a disconnected uh, relationship with my lungs and my body. And these things really hurt me and they prevented me from moving forward in my life. Mm. I needed something more. I had I had done the 12 steps and benefited from them. I'd gotten onto a path of recovery. I still honor and cherish the 12 steps in my life as a spiritual path. Yeah. I work with guys and take them through those steps. And I've needed therapists, yoga teachers, meditation teachers, spiritual guides, coaches, life coaches, vocational coaches. I mean, I'm just somebody who understood early in my recovery, uh, I'm in a lot of pain still. Mm -hmm. this, this is not why I got sober. And if, and in fact, if I stay in pain in my life, why bother staying sober? Yeah. I mean, if you're just going to be in pain. So the good news is you don't have to be in that state. 
but you may need extra help like I've needed every step of the way. And thank God people are there and they want to help you. Right. Wonderful guides, wonderful teachers. And if you open yourself up and you stay humble, you'll continue to receive new teachers and new teachings. You'll have moments of extraordinary joy, uh, moments of true contentment and calmness. And you'll have challenge as well. Mm. You'll also have excitement and adventure. Yeah. So it's all coming. Uh, but we want to be moving forward. And, and, and for me, that 2.0 piece is just critical. Right. So let's take, for example, let's, let's talk about food. Because I, I know with drugs and alcohol, for most of us that get to a point where, it, well, when it's addiction, you need help, you need detox, you need to some kind of a rehab or, or, you know, like you said, you have people helping you. Food's a big one. I mean, any of the other gambling sex are all, they're all huge, but food is, is a common one. And sugar is something you talk quite a bit about. So let's talk about sugar addiction and how can we start to break that mold if we're not going into a sugar rehab, a sugar uh, detox? You know, what can we do? Yes. Uh, such a relevant question for so many uh, different people. Yeah. Especially the alcoholic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. The alcoholic um, is coming off of a regular ingestion of a product that breaks down into sugar. Mm. Alcohol, in all of its forms, breaks down into sugar in the body. So you come off of alcohol after however many years you've been imbibing, and you have to understand, and doctors need to understand, and people who run rehab centers need to understand, that those people are going to need special diets and special attention to deal with the sugar crisis that their body's about to be in. Mm. You can't just remove alcohol from somebody's life and not have the body craving the actual, yes, you're craving alcohol, and yes, the brain and alcoholism piece of it is important, but the sugar piece of it is important also, which is part of the reason why we see people in 12-step programs. The, 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 uh, the cliche is seeing us, you know, we drink the coffee with the sugar in it, yeah. donuts, yeah. and the other sweets, and all this stuff. And a lot of people think, you know, unfortunately, oh, well, at least I put down alcohol. It doesn't matter what my diet is. Yeah. As long as I stay sober, everything's going to be just fine. And I found that not to be the case. So you need a special approach, especially for the alcoholic, to the drop in sugar levels that's naturally going to take place when they get sober. Does this make sense? Oh, yeah. I'm totally following you. Yeah. Now, there's, we could speak for hours and hours about exactly how to approach that. Yeah. It begins with proper hydration. Uh, it begins with diet and setting up a baseline of uh, a comfortable blood sugar level. Mm -hmm. um, it, it may include helping them to wean off of that sugar. Mm -hmm by providing them natural sources of sugar, such as fruits and vegetables. Right. And boy, you can make a, 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 a lot of headway in healing a human being from addiction and from alcoholism by taking this dietary approach. So this, mm -hmm. this is one thing. Right. In general, for people getting sober, it's all about, to me, I look at it just, again, this word ease. Addiction, we know, is dis-ease. Right. It's a lack of ease or a, a distance from ease in the mind-body system. So as we get onto a path of recovery, one of the main questions will be, how can we create ease for ourselves and the body? Yeah. Well, it just so happens nutrition has something to do with that. <laughs> we, we are going to have to figure out a way to relate to food that makes us strong, builds our immunity, uh, addresses the blood sugar issue, our relationship with food is going to determine the level of addictive thinking that we carry. Mm. I can't say it any more plainly than that. Right. The way you relate to your food and the kinds of foods that you're eating, if you eat addictively, you will think more addictively. Mm. If, you, if you get a, a, a respectful, uh, healthy approach loving, wonderful approach to food, your thoughts and your addictive thinking is going to go 
much lower in volume. Mm. Well, I mean, that should be enough right there for people to start to take a serious look at what they're eating. Yeah. One more thing on, on this note. Uh, it's an interesting concept, which, which began with a conversation I had with David Wolf, who's a, a world-renowned nutritionist. Right. We spoke about the, the interesting reality that all addicts are reaching for plants in processed forms, hmm. highly processed forms. If you're a cocaine addict, you're reaching for the coca plant in a highly processed form. If you're a heroin addict, you're reaching for the poppy plant right. in a highly processed form. If you're an alcoholic, you're reaching for any number of plants from potatoes to hops to um, different kinds of berries, right. but in very, very uh, processed forms. And it's interesting that these processed forms, the body registers them as toxins. They are toxic to us on some level. They bring about a change in the brain, and we may enjoy that in the short term, but the body registers it as a toxin. On the path of recovery now, the great, well, the really interesting thing is now we have to reach to plants mm. yet again, except this time we're reaching to plants in their natural form. Right. So we're going to reach to our green leafy fruits and vegetables uh, to actually manage our sugar cravings and bring us back into a state of balance, a state of health, bring our, the tissues and the cells of our body, our body back to a, a state of homeostasis. Mm. We're going to alkalize, moving away from acidic foods, moving to these natural foods which bring natural alkalinity into the system, which is going to increase our immunity and our health. So plants are critically important on the path of recovery. Right. For me, it's kale, celery, cucumber, chard, parsleys, lettuces. Uh, you know, all of these things are my medicines today. Mm. And they make me feel energized. They keep me healthy and young. And they keep me feeling great. Right, right. So, so th these are these are are relatively new concepts. Yeah. When you apply them to the the world of recovery, and they're all beautiful concepts. And I mean, I see what a healthy and vigorous lifestyle you live. So, I mean, you're obviously practicing what not preach, but what you talk about, and you're you're walking the talk. What I'm wondering, because I can't tell you how many people, myself included, sometimes where everything you just said makes perfect sense. However. Getting from point A for someone who's stuck eating in, in an unhealthy way to point B where you have to get over that kind of mound, that shift mm -hmm. to where you're anchored more in the place of healthy eating can be extremely difficult. So yep. what what role from your experience have you seen that the mind plays in the resistance or is there a biology happening within us um, you know, what in your experience is going on for people and how can they work through that to get from point A to point B and not only get there, but then actually maintain that? Yeah, great question. There's an interplay going on between the body and the mind, of yeah. course, as with all things. And this is just another form of addiction. Yeah. So it needs to be treated just the same way you treat any other addiction. The advice would be don't do this alone. Yeah. So let's just talk about that for a minute. People who are eating bacon cheeseburgers one day and they get inspired, they hear a lecture and they're like, okay, I'm vegan tomorrow. Okay. What happens? We can, we can tell you what happens with these people. Number one, they don't have the education. They don't understand how to be vegan in the first place. Right. Number two, they don't understand that their body is going to take 12 to 24 months mm. of transitioning in order to be able to process vegan foods and get what they need from those foods in the same way that their body currently processes meat. Wow. 12 to 24 months of transition, which is a highly regimented, well thought out trans trans transitional process moving towards a vegetarian or a vegan diet. Mm. So these people are essentially starving in two weeks. Yeah. They're like, wow, I'm so hungry. Or their cravings go way up. Wow, I, I, went, I went past a, um, 
the meat section in you know in some in some supermarket i couldn't resist buying a chicken and eating it yeah i couldn't resist the steak i couldn't resist the thing and it's like by the way i don't have any judgment about any ch- food choices that people make sure but in in terms of wanting to um bring greater health into the body to change the way one is eating you have to do it with a group of people and you need education and there needs to be a process, just like recovery from anything. Right. So that's first. Don't be alone. Second, um, there's there's often uh, for for many people a period of cleansing, which needs to take place for them, where they can reset. So this is like uh, juice cleansing, for example. You might juice cleanse w- with supervision having spoken to your doctor or your health care team and going with a bunch of people who understand how to do a cleanse, you might take a three-day juice cleanse, reset with a plan and a strategy for when the cleanse is over. Mm. Those cleanses can really reset someone's relationship with food and help them to see uh, – it's kind of jump starts them into a change, yeah. if you will. So don't be alone. Plan a period of cleansing, if appropriate for you, and you can talk to people to figure out if that is appropriate. And then, you know, it's back to the basics. We have to be hydrated. That requires water. That also requires salt, interestingly enough. Ah. Not just table salt. We don't want common table salt. That's actually a chemical experiment, which is not bioavailable to, to, to us. We want to have uh, raw salts from pristine environments. So Celtic sea salt is an example of that. Himalayan sea salt is another example of that. Yeah. You can get these in health food markets. You want a little tiny pinch of that in your water each day. Hmm. You also want to manage the salt that you're taking in other foods. You never, ever want to use table salt again. Yeah, There's absolutely no point. Uh, it does nothing for you. So you get rid of all your table salt. You never salt your food like that again. Um, so... There's changes that you make, and they're, they're countless. I've tried to lay out some of the most important ones in the book, right? which is Recovery 2.0, of course. Yeah. Uh, but um, those are some of the initial thoughts. If you're trying to break a long, long-standing habit of any kind, do it in a group of people. Uh, do an immersive uh, experience like a cleanse, or, or if not a cleanse, just work with a group of people over the course of a few weeks and it also, one last thing, it also helps to keep a food journal. Ah, uh, yeah. Write down everything that, that you're eating, every single thing in great detail. Do it for a week and then get with a nutritionist and show it to them. Say, so here, here's what I'm eating and I want to get on a plan. And, and this is just us reaching out with humility saying, I don't know how to do this. Right. It goes back to the same thing again. And uh, I'm there on a daily basis, Chris. I want you to know I'm, I'm there every day. Yeah. There's so many things I, I want to try to achieve that I'm not able to do on my own. Sure. And so I have to have help. So we come back to that theme. Yeah, it's big. That's really big. And thank you for, for outlining that. And again, you like you said, you do go into much greater detail in the book Recovery 2.0. So just another of many reasons for listeners to go pick that up. So... I obviously want to talk to you about the upcoming two point recovery 2.0 conference, but there's one thing I want to make sure we cover before we get into that. Um, just because this is something that I find very fascinating. Uh, it's going back to psychedelics and, you know, we both talked about our experience. We, we've, we've both had our share of experiences with them. I honor my past experiences. I never honestly really took them in a spiritual context. I was more of just partying, but in retrospect, I certainly see how they inadvertently had a, a significant impact on expanding my consciousness, opening it up. I'm in no way saying that that's necessary for people. But in my case, I, I honor that and I see that. And I know that uh, one of your friends who's on, I think, almost all, if not all of your Recovery 2.0 conferences, uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, did I pronounce that correct? Yes, Gabor Mate. Yeah. yeah, he talks quite a bit about ayahuasca, and there can be benefits, great benefits to those in recovery or struggling with addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I've personally seen, I was talking with someone last night about this. I saw someone who had a very severe heroin addiction and he started doing ayahuasca ceremonies under the guidance of a shaman. And the difference over the course of a year, I've never seen anything like it night and day. So I would love to hear your thoughts on psychedelics in relation to those in recovery, the benefits, the, and obviously then again, the dangers, you know, we have the pleasure center and, um, you know, I've tried when I was in recovery, replacing one drug for another thinking I'd be fine. You know, that very typical mistake. Um, so yeah. What, what are your thoughts on all of that? Thank you. Great question. Um, I wrote a piece for elephant journal called ayahuasca by any other name. Hmm. And so people can look that up. Um, it goes into some detail, but I'll, I'll share some of the ideas here. Sure. I've never taken ayahuasca. Yeah. I've never taken psychedelics since um, since I got sober for the final time, which is June twenty third, nineteen ninety one. Yeah. And I'm all for anything that helps a person reach their truth. And helps them to live in a self-loving way. Yeah. In a in a in a sustainable way. Yeah. I'm into sustainable long-term health and well-being. And the expansion of consciousness is something I've always been an advocate for. Yeah. For people like me who are on a path of recovery and who are content to be on that path. I don't question this path for me, Mm. not at any level. I'm always expanding my consciousness. It's called meditation (laughs) right? and yoga. And that works for me. Uh, I haven't begun to scratch the surface of what meditation and yoga have to offer. Yeah. In 20 years, I haven't begun to scratch the surface. And I can tell you, I've gotten to travel the galaxies. I've gotten to visit realms that I didn't even know existed. (laughs) I felt joy and bliss in my body as powerful as certainly at least as powerful, if not more powerful than any drug experience I've ever had. And I've had some powerful drug experiences. So for someone like me, I'm just not interested uh, I'm not pulled or I don't feel the need to take ayahuasca or, or engage in that activity. Yeah. If you're on a path of recovery and you're questioning this path and you're stuck in your stuff and you're, you're someone who has struggled with addiction, it is a super dangerous proposition from my perspective. Right. Because it begins to start you down the road of thinking about taking something from the outside to fix something on the inside. Yeah. I'm not saying that you can't get insights. I'm not saying that you can't have an aha moment if you go there. But if your thought is, this is going to cure me. This is going to fix me. I think you're going to be severely disappointed. Mm. And I think that it's a dangerous place for you to go as an addict. Right. If you're somebody who's stuck in addiction actively now, and you cannot find your way to recovery, and somehow you feel that ayahuasca can jumpstart you onto a path of recovery, or some of these other drugs like Ibogaine or um, Vivitrol, Uh, Some of these drugs can alleviate your cravings so that you can get onto a path of recovery Mm. and benefit from therapy, the 12 steps, and other modalities of healing. If you bring those things together, well, maybe that's an opportunity for you. And I I bet there's some people out there who've been helped in that way. Sure. However, if you go after the, the ayahuasca, the ibogaine, the whatever it is, and your thought is, I want this to fix me. And that's not immediately followed up with a therapeutic process, um, a spiritual path that leads to your own heart. 
I think you're going to be severely disappointed, and I, and I would not bet on your success of moving beyond addiction. Mm. So those are some basic thoughts. Uh, I'm not a, I don't advocate for the outer solution to the inner experience. I really believe meditation, sitting. Uh, I think love, at the end of the day, trumps all. I think we have to find a way to love ourselves. I think we need people around us to love us. That's not codependent. That's actually a human need. Right. Um, and I think that if we can can focus there and find that love, I think that's going to be a good thing. And I'll just say one last thing. Yeah. There was a gentleman I, I had conversations with, uh, deep conversations with in Costa Rica. And we, he and my wife and I, we, we really sat down and, and talked a lot about this stuff. Not ayahuasca, but the idea of love and healing. Yeah. We came clearly to the understanding that love is the answer. To enter the force field of love, which is the opposite of the force field of addiction. Mm. The frequency of love is the opposite of the frequency of addiction. To enter that force field, you could heal from there. You could heal anything from there. So the question then becomes, how do I enter the force field of love? Okay. So we all decided love is the answer. So this guy went off that year and he had a, a series of ayahuasca journeys. Mm. The next year we came back and we sat down in conversation again. And he said, I've figured it out. And I'm like, I mean, amazing, you know, share, yeah. you know, give us some nuggets. <laughs> <All right. laughs> and he said, I figured it out. It's all about love. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, we had already come to that understanding together. Right. Don't you remember? I didn't say that to him, but his idea that some new revelation about how it's all about love had come to him. Maybe it was on a deeper level for him. I don't know, but it wasn't any new information. So I think the information that we seek is within us. I think we need teachers and guides to get to it. I think once we learn how to get to it, then it becomes about discipline right. and following a path. And so those are my thoughts. And, and, and I don't, I'm not a judge or right. a, certainly not a hater of, of ayahuasca. I recognize its place in this world. Yeah. It's, it's a part of God as much as anything else is a part of God. So if that's your path and that's what you're doing and it works for you, God bless you and it's wonderful. Mm. Um, I worry about it in terms of the way it might affect people who struggle with addiction. Right. But each person will find out on their own. So well said. Yeah. And, and be, I, like I said earlier, I honor the impact it had on me back in the day. I mm. too have not touched it since I've come into recovery. Um, and I know plenty of people that still do partake and they're not in recovery and it's a very spiritual thing for them and, and they have these great experiences and honestly, part of me gets jealous at times, but I recognize, Hey man, <laughs> I can't go down that road and I don't really want to. I, I often remind myself of something Maharaji said to Ram Das, and I don't remember verbatim, but you know, he said something to the effect of, you know, these psychedelics are great because they can bring you into the room to see the face of Christ, but inevitably you're going to have to leave, you know? So the goal is to see the face of Christ in a way that you don't have to leave and, and you can only get there through things like meditation and other practices. So I've, I've actually got to re refine that and so I can quote it properly. But again, and then you would ask Ram Daslo today and, and I'm sure he would speak in, in a uh, positive way towards psychedelics. So it's, it's a highly individualized process. And uh, Ram Das is one of my great teachers and I honor that. It's like anything you, you take what you can and what works for you and you just, you leave the rest. Did you, um, did you ever watch the interview I did with Ram Dass? Yes. Right at the old conference. Right. Yeah. He, 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 we got into this a little bit and it was a powerful moment when he said, do you feel psychedelics led you to hardcore drug abuse? And I said, absolutely not. Yeah. I, I just, they, they didn't lead me anywhere. Mm. I was on a path of, of disconnection. Yeah. And for periods of time, psychedelics may have made me feel connected and show me certain things that I was unable to integrate back into my life. Yeah. That wasn't any shortcoming of psychedelics. That wasn't any, 
you know, that was just my, my, the unfolding of my life and my maturity as a, or immaturity as an individual. Yeah. So it took time, uh, and it took proper, uh, proper practices and proper teachers to show me how to do that work. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question. The psychedelic question is, is always, uh, for people whose lives have been affected as ours have been by that, you're always going to wonder, one always wonders like, wow, you know, what, what could be done with psychedelics in society? You know, that's always been the question. Maybe we're overlooking something. Mm. And to me, I don't, I don't really think so. I think what we're overlooking is the treasure, the infinite treasure within us. Yeah. I think that's what we're overlooking. And so something about stillness and quiet which I'm still working on developing and, and, and uh, bringing into my life. Yeah. You know, so here we are, work in progress. Yeah, and nothing more, just a work <laughs> in progress <laughs> and a lot of love in that process. Yeah. So we have to talk about the upcoming Recovery 2.0 conference. It's your fifth one. And not just about that, why don't you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to start this? You know, in the beginning, like I said, we have your fifth one coming up, and this is no small endeavor. You have usually at least roughly 30 experts per conference. That's like 30 hours of your time in interviews. So can you tell us a bit about that? And then we'll talk about the fifth one and what people can look forward to there. The conference is, is meant to bring information and inspiration to people who are either stuck in addiction, who are on a path of recovery, who want more yeah. to a family member who of a, of a loved one who suffers with addiction or anybody who works in the field. It, it's meant to be uh, a place you can come and access great teachings. It's free. It happens over the course of a week. We release a few videos each day and it's it's very exciting, Chris, that, that so many people from around the world have watched and I think we over a hundred thousand people have been to our conferences. That's amazing. It's it's yeah. it's really amazing. And it speaks to the need for this kind of information and a holistic approach to recovery. Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes sense to people. Yeah. And not only that number of people, but we're talking, I think, worldwide, I mean, almost every country has been represented, if not every country at this point, right? That's tuned in and viewed and been a part we've I, I know we've we've had over 120 c countries okay yeah participate um so certainly a lot that is that's incredible a lot yeah this particular conference the fifth one is big just number one because it's the fifth one yeah and that's exciting to make it to that benchmark yeah also we we the lineup is as strong as ever a lot of new faces new information coming in. I'm, I'm super excited. Uh, I mean, there's not, a, there's not a, any interview that I'm not proud of and feel could be useful to people. Yeah. It's just, it's just a thrill to do it. People can go to recovery2.0.com to sign up uh, and, and just check in uh, with what's there. It's coming up June 12th through the 18th. Yeah. And then uh, I wanted to just mention, Chris, that I'm offering a, a, an online coaching program, mm. which begins uh, in early July, right out of the conference Great. for people who want to go to that next level. Yeah. So we get together, maybe there's a thousand of us and we build a community online. We do teachings and practices together through video. There's three hours of live presentations each week. And it's a, it's a way to really get deep into stuff. So if any of your listeners are interested in that kind of coaching, it's 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 life tools for people in recovery or people who are struggling uh, with addiction or, or people who've been touched by addiction in any way. Mm. Beautiful, Th and thank you for sharing that because I can only imagine how profound that would be based on you know the work of yours. I'm already familiar with so, and thank you. The 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 website again is recovery2.0.com. The number two point number zero. Listeners, I'll have the link. It'll be right there in the website uh, for this podcast. So you can click on it. It'll bring you right to the conference. As Tommy said, it's free. You can't ask for anything more than that. Um, and I, I, anything else, Tommy, before we wrap up? Yeah, I just finished with some, some, some words of pep. Small yes. Talk here. Um, 
if you're struggling with something like addiction, uh, don't be alone. You have to ask for help. Uh, it's we've all been there. Put your ego aside and admit that you need help to move forward. And from that from that place, such wonderful things can begin to enter your life. Um, so ask for help when you need it, and especially never despair. Yeah, there is this is a quantum physical reality, a fact. There is a way through every block. You may not know the way through the block yet, but that doesn't deny the fact that there is a way through. There is always a way through. Never, ever give up. Never, ever give up. Huge. And and what a perfect note to end on. So, Tommy, thank you for your time, your heart, your presence, and all the work you're doing in the world. I am so grateful. So many of us are grateful. We really appreciate it. And I look forward to having you back on again later down the road. Thank you, Chris, so much. Thank you, Tommy. <laughs> much love. Talk yeah. to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.